0: you know, fear, it's funny, because when I look back at that period of my life, um, it's fear of failure of, okay, take a leap of faith, quit your, quit your job, um, put your back up against the wall, and, and just go for it, do what you pursue that passion that you want. But then there's a fear of failure. But as you get older, and hopefully wiser, the fear reverses, it's not a fear of failure, it suddenly becomes a fear of regret.
1: That was for my conversation exploring the walk of life with author J.K. Ellum. J.K. shares about walking away from his day job in the 90s to pursue writing and not succeeding, which led him back to his original profession of accounting. After raising his children and building his own business, J.K. decided to jump back into writing in 2017 and since then has published an astonishing 14 books. J.K. and I have an awesome conversation about what inspires his work ethic, his characters and stories, and how much joy he has found in pursuing his passion. As always, thank you to Misha Zarens for the music in today's show welcome to the walk show podcast jack ellum how you doing tonight man i'm um, great thanks uh, walker thanks for the invite yeah absolutely uh really excited to have you here jack so you are an author um you, you primarily write cutting-edge popular adult thriller fiction um so i'm curious Am I correct that you have, I was trying to count, is it 14 books that you've published? Is that right?
0: That's right, 14.
1: And that's all since 2016?
0: Uh, probably not till, I think, 2017.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, I've talked to a variety of authors, and I don't know that I've ever talked to anyone that has 14 books in less than five years. Um, yeah. <laughs> how do you keep that base? Look, I think I needed...
0: When you start to write, I needed to get a footprint. I needed to get quite a few books up, up and running. Mm. So, in the first couple of years, I had a crazy output. I just said, "Look, I'm going to do you know three to four books a year," and which wasn't sustainable. It, it's 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 a hard um, it's a hard gig to do. So, but I, I worked hard in the first couple of years, got a base, and then cut back. So my my production now is probably about two to three books a year.
1: That's still pretty remarkable. Yeah, uh, I, t- I mean, I talked to a lady. Not too long ago, it was ten years that it took her to <laughs> to finally get it all done. Now, to her credit, she didn't work on it for ten years consistently, but yeah. still, um, there can there can be the other the other side of that coin, I guess. So, I'm curious to 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 kind of go back a bit. I mean, is this something like is your family writers? Is this something you wanted to do always? Like, how how did this strike you to to start in 2017 writing this much?
0: Look, I guess if you go back even further say to 1995 i was mm. you know i'm an accountant by trade i i'm a cpa i went to college i did the whole normal career path worked yeah. my work the corporate ladder and in 95 i just wasn't happy with with work i just wasn't i'm not one of those types of people to be in a cubicle um spending you know the rest of my days and i thought hey look maybe i can write a, a book so I tried to cobble together a story, um, copied and you know the trends that were out there, and it was disastrous. It was just it was terrible. Mm. So back then, I it was just a muse. It was more of a distraction. I said no, you know my, my father was saying, don't be crazy, you know you know finish finish your your courses and 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 work hard and and you know then retire. That was the plan. That was always, you know he was an engineer and and that was his very pragmatic view that he hammered into into all his kids that's the only you know future that you have yeah. um so i parked it for a, for a few years and then i built up my own business and that was still niggling in the back of my head and it was looking back on that that period of my life i guess it's it's it was fear that caused me to park it to say look it was just a, a distraction you know wonders if it fails i'm no good at writing and it was it was it was awful the the first book i tried to put out And then as you get more comfortable in life and, you know, the the mortgage comes down and school fees uh, are being paid and the kids graduate from college, um, then I went back to it. I had a look at it and say, hey, look, this is something that I really wanted to do. I really wanted to be an author. I really, I loved reading and I really wanted to write thriller books. So when the the fear had subsided a bit, the fear of failure, um, it changed my mindset. I said, look, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Um, I could go back and get a job and I could do whatever. So, but I took the leap of faith in, in 2017 and I sold my business and, and said, you know, it was pretty much burning the boats and this is what I was going to do. Hmm.
1: And, and I don't know if this is um, a good question or not, but are, I mean, in looking back, you know, cause you mentioned, I mean, obviously there's the fear of failure and like the fear of, of being judged as as an author, but then hmm. also, like you said, you know, there's there's life to pay for, like a mortgage. And if you've got kids maybe paying for their school and that kind of stuff. I mean, do you like if you could do it again, would you have tried to break away from this fear sooner and done this earlier? Or would that have been too much of a burden on your family, if that makes sense?
0: No, no, you're spot on. I would have done it soon. And that's probably my regret. I should have Mm. talk about 2017. I probably could have done it three years, three to four years earlier and which is fine look it's i you know we i worked hard for those you know four years afterwards and and uh, that's my only regret it it wasn't a case it was where you are comfortably finan- you know financially comfortable where with commitments and everything else and like if i had planned it better um then then i could have you know started writing four years earlier and it it may have had a different outcome my timing wasn't great purely because um i think amazon brought out the um um, the kindle i think in 2011 the first version of the kindle in 2011 mm-hmm. and, and people who jumped on into that self-publishing um, industry 2011 20, 2012 the early adopters they just they got a leap um, they got a start that no one else got so i'm, I'm, right. begr- I'm begrudging that a bit but, <laughs> <laughs> but i look if you write something good enough and you you'd have, you create an audience then then you'll be successful it's as simple as that
1: yeah, well, and I think I, I think the reason I'm interested in, in that is because it's there's a, a common um, sentiment, I guess, that it's it's like every person should find their dream and and chase it without any any regard for anything else. And, and I I get the I get the romanticism of that, mm. but I think that there is also like, again, there are things to pay for. Right. So mm. to your point, maybe you would have started four years earlier, but it wouldn't have made sense in 1999 for you to not start the business that you started and instead yeah. just become a writer because you probably wouldn't have had the same lifestyle for your family that you were able to otherwise. Yeah. And I um, guess,
0: yeah, I would have had less sleepless nights probably wondering who was going to pay for the bills. You know, i have to sell a book yeah. or I've got to, you know, get a publisher from there. So I didn't want yeah. to put the stress on myself and, and my family, but I think it's, and you talk about, um, you know, fear, it's funny because when I look back at that period of my life, um, it's fear of failure of, okay, take a leap of faith, quit your, quit your job, um, put your back up against the wall and, and just go for it. Do what you pursue, that passion that you want. But then there's a fear of failure. But as you get older and hopefully wiser, the fear reverses. <laughs> it's not a fear of failure. It suddenly becomes a fear of regret. Like if mm. you then say, well, I'm in my mid-40s or I'm in my late 50s or whatever age you're at, and you start to think about that person, that version of you in your 80s or 90s, sitting on a rocking chair, looking back on their life and having that fear of regret. So there came a point in my life, and it's probably for a lot of people too. Maybe it's not, a, I don't view it as a midlife crisis. I hate that term. Um, I think it's, it's a view that when the fear of regret overtakes the fear of not doing anything, then you will take that leap of faith and follow hmm. something that you love doing and you will maybe quit the nine to five or or change jobs or change uh, where you live. Um, so the fear of, of regret kicks in at some point and it kicked in for me because I was looking at myself, my version of myself in the future saying, well, if I don't do it now, I'm, I'm gonna be stuck. Um, it's, you know, if I don't leave this town or this job or this place, you hear the story where people, you know, they, they never, you know, I went to college with, uh, I went to primary school back in the UK and I, um, when I was, you know, 8, 10 years old. I went back there in 2005 and I saw my friends and they were literally living in the same house, um, in the same street, <laughs> doing the same, you know, what they had been doing. They uh, had they had never, right. they had never lo- left the town, so I look at that, le- you know, trying to escape the town mentality, where I didn't want to have those regrets, and I think it's it's the same with a lot of people. You've just gotta you've just gotta take that leap of faith.
1: Yeah, I think that's super interesting, actually, because I you know I, I don't just interview authors on this show. I mm-hmm. talk to life coaches and psychologists and, and a variety of people, and fear is actually something that's discussed somewhat often, but fear is usually shed in a light of its of kind of how you talked about it initially, maybe where it's like holding you back from pursuing Mm. something that you love. Right. But the way you're explaining it now is, you know, at least if it's a fear of regret, the fear actually can push you into something that ultimately is good. Like, Mm. I guess my point being that fear doesn't always lead to a negative outcome. No fear
0: is, they say it's the most powerful thing, but I've learned and a lot of people have learned over the, you know, it, 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 it kicks you in the pants. It, it, gets you to, to take action whether yeah. to whether to save yourself or um, to move in a complete direction and it's if you it's a case of just harnessing that fear for people think it's, oh, it's a negative word it's a bad thing uh, what I found out is no you've got to use fear to your advantage um, and fear of you know whether it be fear of failure or fear of regret or it's no it's a powerful force
1: hmm yeah I really I really really appreciate that I mean Something that I constantly—I mean, you and I were having a, a brief conversation before we started recording, and, and I made a, a sentence about this. But there's um, there's so much sensationalism now in pop culture and society, and and everything is is boiled down to something to a binary choice, which usually is one extreme position or the other. And and in in just this <laughs> brief conversation we've had so far, I realized that. I was doing that with the idea of fear because I was always putting it into this category of it's only driving, again, negative outcomes. Mm. So fear should be avoided. But in thinking about this now, it's just like everything else. It's just somewhere in the middle. And how do you use it is how it really matters.
0: It's, It's like that pleasure and pain. Like. It's and I guess the once uh, carrot or stick, um, I'm very much mm-hmm. for the when I was younger, it was for the carrot. Everyone, you know, as you said, everyone wants instant gratification, they want instant reward, they want everything now, and they want that, um, that prize, that carrot. And then as you get older in life, um, it becomes the stick, it becomes that. I guess I come back to that regret and that fear, and 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 you know, what drives you um, from that perspective, you no longer, um. You know, you've you've earned some money. You've done well. You've paid off your mortgages, and I guess it's it's not that the carrot isn't isn't important anymore. You become less materialistic. The carrot. I'm not writing books to make a gazillion dollars. If I do a good job, they'll sell. Um, money is never the motivator. And to me now, I guess it's it's the stick. It's the fear that um, if I don't pursue this this passion that I want to do, then then regret will, which is the stick, well, you know, will kick
1: in from there. Right. Right. That's really powerful. Um, I mean, shifting gears a little bit, but so the genre of your books is, is, is thrillers. Now they have different settings, um, at least between series, but how did you how did you settle on writing thrillers? Is that something you're a fan of or how did that become your, your genre of choice?
0: I guess back in the early, um, back in say 95, I made a mistake of where I tried to copy a trend, copy a fad, like look at what's out there. Mm. And after I parked that for a while, I, when I came back to revisit it, um, I had no idea. Honestly, what, I had no clue what I was going to write. I, hmm. I hadn't written anything worthwhile. Um, I knew what I wasn't going to write, and that might have been um, <laughs> by erotica or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, but I had no clue. So my wife pulled me aside one day and said, said to me, look, Jack, Look at this bookshelf of yours, okay? You cannot stop buying books, okay? You've got more books here than you can possibly read in a lifetime. Maybe have a look at the books that you've bought, the fiction books, and maybe there's a clue in there as to what you should write. So I said, okay. Mm -hmm. So I went and looked at all the fiction books, and lo and behold, the majority of them, eighty to ninety percent, were crime thriller, you know, mystery and suspense books. Mm -hmm. And I loved reading them and that was that was that was how I made that choice. I then and I took it a step further and I went um, to my DVD uh, cabinet um, going back a while now and I pulled out all the DVDs and I grouped them and I had a few sci-fi DVDs there, but they were mainly crime thrillers um, hmm. and you know box sets that were you know crime, mystery suspense shows that's what is flagged on my list in in netflix now when i look back right. up the modern version of that is going to look at netflix and see what you <laughs> what's on the list and right. um, and you'll never you'll never watch as you know everything that you've got flagged in there but that's the clue write what you love to read write what you love to watch um and so i thought well look crime thrillers and mysteries was was the genre i was gonna i was gonna do because and in it's like your career it's you're in this for a long time. It's a long haul. You're playing a long game. So you might as well, you know, enjoy what you're going to write. I've I've had friends of mine who are writers, authors, and they literally hate what they write. It's because they've picked a genre that thought, oh, I can make a lot of money out of it, or, ooh, mm. it's going to be fashionable. Everyone's writing about vampires or everyone's writing about the girl on the train. How about I write about a, a girl on in a car or a girl mm. on the bus? And, and they pick a... um a fashionable trend even though they've they hate it they would never pick up a thriller book themselves but yet they feel that that's what they've got to write I've got friends that write um, historical romance and they don't have a historical or romantic bone in their body and, <laughs> and I think it, and I think it comes through in their writing because I've read some right. of their stuff and it seems very forced so you know that's just look around you there's clues all around you as to what what you should be doing
1: yeah I- I've found that that I have that um, sentiment around, well, I don't create music either, but like music that I'm really drawn to feels like it was made by the person, the person who made it, made it to express something or or made it because they they like it, Mm. to your point, Mm. versus... You know, maybe a lot more of the poppy music, and not all of it. I'm sure some of it is, has some <laughs> some soul to it, but a lot of it may, feels like it was made to sell versus made to to be art. I guess for maybe a lack of a better way to say that. Um, so it makes sense that that would be the same thing in in writing. I mean, even though a book is different than a song in infinite ways, uh, I think that the creative process behind it could still be similar. And that if you're making something that's not really true to who you are. Like you said, that's gonna come through in the work.
0: Yeah, it does. And like I agree that analogy you said about music. Like some of the best songs, the best ballads that anyone has ever penned or, or added music to is from I guess the pain that they endured, their girlfriend left uh, you know, left them or or they've got grief in the, and some of the best songs have come out because there's that connection. When there's mm-hmm. no connection, it becomes just like a mechanical process and and, and your audience can can feel it.
1: Right right so you've got you've got a few standalone books and then you've got two series you've got the no justice series and the octagon series correct am i correct in that yes so the no justice series is set in in more modern times whereas octagon is set in the future is that also correct yes so i'm curious do you do you have a preference for writing in more of that science fiction future timeline or in the modern timeline or is you don't have a preference necessarily
0: i think the octagon series was one of the one of the first series i kicked off and i guess i was following the fad of um i think the hunger games at that time Mm. i was was subconsciously i was steering in that direction because that's what was selling Um, but no in terms of the future in terms of what i've done uh the majority of my work is in the current time um, crime thrillers based in the u s that's my biggest market and that's the i guess the, the tactical decision that I made the commercial decision that um, modern day crime thrillers i I will finish off i've got some ideas for other dystopian stories but the the main bulk of my my ideas is is firmly focused on current time crime thriller suspense psychological thrillers
1: yeah. So this just occurred to me, and, and now I'm going to bring up a, not a book but a, a TV series. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Better Call Saul. Yes, is this familiar to you at all? So I just recently watched that. I, I know it's not new, but wow. I finally got around to, to seeing it, and it's all set in modern. And there's not anything fantastical hmm. about it at all. And it occurred to me because I'm a hu- you know, I'm a I'm an avid video game player, and I like fantasy stuff and science fiction stuff. And it occurred to me when watching Better Call Saul that I think it would actually be more challenging to write something in the modern time than it would to be to write something that's either, again, a, a totally different universe or at least something far in the future or far in the past, simply because you can kind of make stuff up and it and there's no there's no suspension of disbelief mm. uh, or, or maybe it's easier to achieve the sus- suspension of disbelief in something that's more fantastical than something that's more grounded is that something that you think about at all or am i just crazy no no it's it's, <laughs> it's
0: it's it used it's correct but i think it's changed like i think the invention of technology the internet and cell phones
1: mm.
0: like when i was writing a few years ago um everyone had a had a, a cell phone but now they're smartphones they can do anything right. you know they can get your hero out of any practically any situation so, I now have to consciously think about if I back myself into a corner, my readers are going to say, Well, can't they just call the police on their cell phone? <laughs> you know, can't they just call in the cavalry and save the hero? So, mm. I now I have to consciously, you know, technology is a, is, a, is a wonderful blessing and it's a curse. So, I've, and because your readers are clever, they're saying, Well, they've got a cell phone, haven't they? But so all of a sudden, the, the concept of no coverage or no right. signal. <laughs> <laughs> features, features in my books. So most of the bad stuff happens in remote areas deep in the forest. There's no right. signal. Right, um, yeah, you have to. Yeah, and it becomes hard because I, I've gone back, and you've probably have done the same. I've gone back and read some. I, read, I was starting to read a book the other day written in 1995, huge author, and the guy put a video cassette into a player and started watching a show. <laughs> and I'm thinking, That's interesting. No, they, and they also mentioned The Walkman. Um, (laughs) the sony walkman and and then i found a book that also had been written in 1995 published in 95 but the author was clever they had got their team of editors to go back and update the technology of everything Ah. so back in 95 they were mentioning you know social media they were mentioning cell phones they were mentioning everything so hmm. the book was published in '95, but it wasn't dated. They it wasn't specific date. Like it wasn't didn't open with Los Angeles, 2021. It right. Was, it was just an unknown time period. But it was published in '95, and the whole series went from there. And they went back, and they I guess gave it a what do you call it? A reboot? A, a Windows update? <laughs> and, yeah, and that's that's. And that, Yeah, it was creepy. It was almost creepy because I think, yeah. and you talk about trying to be authentic and, you know, the, the way the media is. I think it loses that authenticity. It's almost like we're trying to, and I only thought about this the other day, we're trying to alter history if you go back oh, and yeah. say, well, no, there weren't such things as VHS cassettes or vinyl records or, you know, we had cell phones back then. I'm thinking, well, when you wrote it in 95, uh, Mark Zuckerberg hadn't been born. So <laughs> <laughs> you're changing you're changing history
1: you can can take
0: some you know some creative license but you know it's a stretch
1: yeah well I think it's also it's a you know I I'm making up these times I don't know I don't have some data in front of me that I'm referencing but like let's say up until 1930 or something right like or 1900 again I don't know exactly when but technology evolves very slowly for a long, the most of human history. Mm. And then in the 20th century, it starts to evolve more rapidly, but even still, I mean, like records weren't around for only five years, Mm. right? Like things lasted, even if they weren't around for a hundred years, they were still around for, you know, maybe a few decades before they were replaced. But I mean, like the thing that you and I are creating right now is called a podcast, Mm. which is called a podcast because it references iPods, Mm which don't exist and haven't existed. I mean, they only existed for like four years. You know what I mean? Like it's such a brief window of time that that's a relevant term. That's right. Uh, So I think it's also like, you know, you could reference something in an older era and it was around long enough that it can be expected that people know of it. But like now if someone wrote a book and had an iPod in it, there's a great chance that a reader would just be like, what is that? Like I've never heard of an iPod. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) So I'm I'm curious, when you're writing, um, do characters come first or does plot come first? And is that consistent?
0: I started with plot coming first. When I started writing, Hmm. it was, what's the story? What's gonna happen? Um, And then I realized that I guess by watching enough TV, watching enough um, streaming shows that the, the best streaming shows or the best books I've ever read, um, they were character driven. And that's where I changed my thinking a couple of years back that I, I had to come up with the character first rather than the story, because like stories are great. If you can have a fast paced you know, action story and keeps turning the pages, that's wonderful, but you sooner forget about them. The, the stories that tend to stick with you um, are the characters the memorable characters that the protagonists that why did they do that or what happened to them and things should have changed that differently and you talk about the connection with songwriting it's the same with you know you remember you keep a song in your head because um it pulled on your emotional chords um through maybe the grief of the the songwriter the period that Mm -hmm. he was going through it's the same with a great story a great movie you come out of of, um, the cinemas and you think that was a great movie not because it had you know hundred million dollars worth of cgi in it but because you really followed the character you felt and related to the character so now i have to re-engineer my process of of being character driven it's it's not so much that uh, here's a character chasing bad people and catching serial killers um, and they carry a gun it's more like this is an ordinary person that life is terrible fallen apart they're divorced their kids hate them um, they can't make the mortgage payments on the house. Oh, and by the way, during the day they catch serial killers. It's it's that human, you know, it's that yeah. human side of the story that we love. We want to be able to look at that or read that protagonist story and say, no, we can relate to them um, because they have the same problems we do. And when you make your characters have the same problems as everyone else does, you know, you, you they're not on a pedestal. Like I love, and everyone probably does, everyone likes Marvel movies. You know, I think, um, you know, they're big box office hits things blowing up um empire state building collapsing white house blowing up a million times it's you know it's all fantastic um but at some point marvel i think changed the the emotional side of it um, apart from killing tony stark i guess they (laughs) (laughs) they they ran out of ideas because they were getting a disconnect between the audience and and the characters um and, and i think that's that's what's changed a lot in writing. I, I'm now very much character driven. I wanna know about the characters. I wanna know what they're going to do next in the story, not so much what's gonna happen next in the story.
1: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. I mean, honestly, hearing you describe that, the thing that pops into my mind, yet again, not not a book, <laughs> but uh, is the TV show, The Sopranos, mm. um, which is, on the one hand, it's like, oh, well, it's a mob story and everyone loves mafia stories or whatever, but. The reason it works is because Tony Soprano is this relatable character mm. who, despite being a mob boss, still goes and sees a, a counselor. <laughs> yeah. right? which is something we all relate to. So that makes a lot of sense what you're describing.
0: Yeah, and I think look, James Galdolfini, he was like he—I didn't think he had to act much in that part, and that's what he was. He—that was him. He was right. Tony Soprano, and 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 that's what <laughs> made it so good. He was—he just they just put him on set and said, "Be yourself," and and that was that connection. No, it was, it was a great show.
1: the genre that you write in, there is a lot of uh, dark subject matter, I guess mm-hmm. we could say. Um, do you ever find yourself disturbed by these ideas that are living in your head? Because I mean, it's not like you write the book in a single day. So you, you're you're carrying these things mm-hmm. around for a long time. Is that ever disturbing to you or not so much?
0: Look, it's I got disturbed once um, mm-hmm. and I was doing some research um, on, I think, sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And of children and um yeah it, it's and i was reading a lot of non-fiction in that area a lot of first-hand accounts and it did like it i guess that i i went very quiet for about two or three days around the house and my wife noticed and my kids know i sort of withdrew a bit because it, it it does affect you you start reading true crime cases um in in particular areas and yeah, I did withdraw for about two or three days, and I did get very, I'd say, depressed or a bit, um, yeah, a bit withdrawn. And it does, it does affect you. But you know, you've it's. I I try to be as authentic as I can in my writing. I'm not going to be extremely graphic, but um, there's no point in, you know, God forbid I have experienced anything like that. And my heart goes out to the victims. But if you're going to be authentic in your writing, um, do the research. Um, you know talk to people um, and, and, and do the research. And, yeah, it, it does. And sometimes my wife wonders, you know, I do have a twisted mind. And it's not because it maybe it's a reflection on the world, but I'm, I'm just reporting on, on, you know, the news, what you see every day, some of the horrors um, that, that happen. And, you know, mankind never ceases to, to shock me at, at some of the things that, that, that happen in the world.
1: Yeah. I was listening to a podcast. I mean, it was, I don't know, a long time ago at this point, but, and, and a story came up about um, this chimpanzee attack that had occurred and wow, chimpanzee attacks can be really, really brutal, mm. right? Cause they don't, they just kind of tear and, you know, rend things apart. Mm. And So if that's a person that can be pretty brutal and, and horrific. And I was thinking, man, like that's, that's so terrifying because it's, it's maybe even worse than like a dog or some other animal that would just bite you and maybe even kill you somewhat quickly. Like the, the chimpanzee is not, not the same as a dog, right? Mm-hmm. But then as I sat and thought about it for a few more minutes, it dawned on me that like, yeah, a chimpanzee could be pretty terrifying, but there's actually nothing more terrifying than a human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the, the worst that a, a chimpanzee could do is nothing in comparison to what a human can can imagine up. Um, so my point, just being, I think you're absolutely right that mm-hmm. there is that does exist in the world, and um, and not that I think that all humans are evil or, or anything like that, but mm-hmm. that capacity is there, um, and I don't think it's acknowledged in that way enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. Look, I think it's it's and some I did cop a lot of criticism for Mill Point Road, which was. The book i i said in maryland um and in washington county and um there were some pretty confronting issues that i presented in that book but and i did cop some criticism for it but the 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 view is that look you know these these things happen and i always come back to the view that it's not me personally um like when you write a character and this is something that i cop criticism for that people thought it was me i you know i like abusing children or i liked you know stabbing people right. or, or strangling people it's not it's the character uh, you, you're creating a, a a character um and that's how they think but you've got to put yourself inside of you know inside of their head and that the other side of the story is that the research that i've done i'm far more it's far more interesting now what what i've found out about you know what motivates people to harm each other um victimology um how crimes get get uh, solved how they don't get solved it's it's fascinating um it's given me quite an enlightenment on human behavior
1: yeah yeah that's something that i've been fascinated by in talking to, to different writers mm. is you know with non-fiction writers i always understood that there's some level of research involved because mm. it's a nonfiction thing but all of the fiction authors i've talked to have have described exactly what you just have which is that there's still an enormous amount of research that goes into writing mm. fiction and almost i mean it's in a different way because you're not necessarily citing resources throughout no. the book obviously right but at the same time like the 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 need to be accurate especially when dealing with a sensitive topic like that mm. is just as important as it would be in a nonfiction book
0: yeah it, it's it's you know if you're looking at say um george rr R. martin game of thrones um uh-huh. if if you're going to stab someone or cut off a limb with a sword you want to make it you want you want to know anatomically how's that going to work at the end of right. the day, at the end of the day from right, there right. and it's yeah it's it's just one of those things that because you're writing fiction you could write fiction that's that's complete fiction but you've got to come back to that authenticity the readers are getting clever and smarter and and it's it's look it's it's fun i i do like i've had this last this book i'm working on now i've had to do probably the most weirdest research ever, um, and I don't think. And I'm thinking, my goodness, how did I get here? Um, <laughs> I'm going to share it with you. You can edit it out if you want to, but I have had to work out how a man who's had his penis amputated how would he urinate? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Now instead I of will me- edit
1: that out, but yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I had to work because I wanted to be authentic. Not that, you know, maybe one of my readers might be a man that's had his penis amputated. And he goes, no, no, that's not how it works, okay? so But I did some research, and there's research on it, um, on how you, how you do. So you, I wanted to be authentic as I could, and I'm thinking, well, I could just fudge it. I could just put in there, oh, well, he just went to the bathroom and urinated. But, no, I wanted the reader to feel his frustration, you know uh, to feel yeah. his angst at the end of the day that it took him two years of rehab to work out how to do this and it made it into it's it's in my latest thriller book so
1: yeah i'm mean, well it's a that's a an incredibly <laughs> profound experience right i mean yeah. uh to to shortchange that i can see why you would want to make that authentic and yeah. while yeah it's certainly not a common no <laughs> subject and, it did, and it did make
0: me appreciate what i have
1: that's fair a lot more that's fair yeah (laughs) that's fair so you know we talked a bit about how um the the volume of work that you produced are you writing every single day do you take scheduled like days off in the week like how does that how does that look your actual the amount of time you dedicate to writing week over week or day over day.
0: I think I I aim for about two thousand words a day. I try to work Monday to Friday, and have the weekends off. But as I am getting closer to a deadline and closer to the end of a book, um, my weekends just go out the window. They don't exist anymore, and I'll just I'll just run to the finish line on that basis. But I am um, normally putting out a first draft within fifty days, and then the series of rewrites. But it's you've got to be structured. You've got to be very. It just works for me. Other other authors may write differently, but I have mm-hmm. to. I, I'm an I'm an AM person, not a PM person. So I get up. I'm at my desk by seven AM. I put in two hours of writing or rewriting. I will have breakfast from nine till ten. Talk to my wife. Go through some admin, some marketing. I'll write from ten till twelve. Have lunch from one till uh, twelve till one. And then I'll do some more admin work in the afternoon if I've hit my word count after lunchtime, great it's done um, or I might drift back into the into the office you know early in the evening after dinner and and punch out a few more chapters and I do that literally five days a week. I'm on a pretty much a six day week rotation now because i'm I'm getting to the end of my latest book and uh and I can't wait to get to the end of it. <laughs> so it's it's almost like going to the dentist. At some point, you just know, just pull the pull the tooth. So um, right. yeah. So and that's and that's my production. Um, between books, I won't have. I may have a couple of days off um, just to just to recharge. Um, but I've always got ideas. I've always got other books outlining in the background. But no, it is. I when I said at the beginning that I, I quit my job and sold my business. Um. And I've had friends that that do that and they sit at home, you know, in in their pajamas all day, eating, Mm -hmm. (laughs) eating popcorn, everything else. I I treat it as a job. It is, it is
1: a job. It's my career. So I I keep office hours. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. Back in, I think 2001 or two, somewhere in there, Jerry Seinfeld, the the comedian released a documentary called the comedian that's about him scrapping his whole act because he he had always done the same act for years and mm. years, and he just, I don't know, destroys it, but whatever, stops performing it and goes back to the comedy clubs in New York City and and starts working on his first five minutes and builds a whole act from scratch. And that's kind of the, the movie. But he talks about the same thing about, and this is, I mean, this is post Seinfeld, mm. the show, right? So he's already very successful, um, but he's the same way. He, he, he puts in eight hours a day uh, writing comedy and working, it, you know, trying to work it out. And mm-hmm. it describes it the same way that you've got to treat it like you would any other yeah. job or any other endeavor. So that makes sense. So I'm curious though, in your writing process, you know, you talked about having kind of shifting to a character first kind of mindset when creating these stories, are you doing like free writing sessions and then seeing what comes out of that? Or, or literally when you sit down, maybe at the beginning of writing a book, what does that look like? Is it, like I said, is it free writing or is there some other method that you use? I
0: don't outline hugely. Um, a lot of authors may say, look, I've, you know, they'll do a hundred page outline or a 50 page outline. They've got every chapter figured. They've got the beginning, the middle and the end of every chapter worked out. They've got all the, all the characters done, all the character notes. I don't do that. I, I have a, a vague idea at the beginning of um, of what the, the arc is going to be and the funny thing is, I've always I've always got the ending worked out at the beginning hmm. because to me, it's the ending that that's critical. I've always thought I'd love a great ending like this, or this should happen at the end. So I've always got the ending worked out, and it pretty much stays eighty percent true by the time I get to the end of the book. Um, and I just I look at where the the story is going to go, and I let the character run. It's as simple as that. I don't let them decide, and it let them. Follow. What would they do next in this situation? I'm not going to tell the character what to do next. To be authentic, it's what would they do in that situation? And and that's why yeah, everyone's probably read books where or seen movies and go, that's so out of character. They would have never have done that. They would have never have, you know, stabbed their boyfriend in a million years because it's so right. out of character. Um, right. And it's because someone has had this preconceived idea of how the story should go, how the character should react. And that's why it's, it comes back to having really focusing on um, the character, building your character um, at the beginning and then saying and letting them loose, letting them loose on the, on the story landscape and see how they're going to react. If you've built them well enough, um, you've given them the qualities and the traits and the belief systems that they have, then they should make the right decisions from there. So Mm. it's, it's really, I don't outline um, um, to a great degree. I'm, I'm very character
1: focused now. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's so interesting. I constantly identify these, (laughs) these paradoxical ideas that are simultaneously true, but Mm. like a, a common sentiment and not just, this is not specific to writing at all, but it's about the journey, not the destination Mm. kind of thing. Right. And Mm. so, That would imply if you were to apply it to writing that, well, maybe the ending isn't the most important part, right? Mm. It's like what happens throughout the book. But I don't think that's true when it comes to writing because I've read books that were largely page turners as I'm going through it. And then the end is just something where things just work out Mm. and there's not really a, a satisfying conclusion. Yeah. And I do not feel good <laughs> about the whole book up to that point. Like, no. But the ending does really matter. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it is about the destination, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at.
0: Yeah. And look, and I, I took the endings I, from day one. I always made the ending not traditional. I, not that my books don't have happy endings, but um, in some of my books, the killer doesn't get caught because mm. that's real life you know you know police don't catch everyone um you know so i don't like reading books where everything is neatly tied off in a pretty bow at the end and you know they get married and fly off into the sunset and and some of my books the the killer doesn't get caught that doesn't mean he's not going to come back or she's not going to come back at a, a in a next book but um it's it's something that i put in there because i always keep coming back to this trying to make it authentic it's it's you know, it's, it's true. Most of the time they do, but at times they don't. Um, Right. And and to me, that's an, that's a more interesting ending.
1: Yeah, I would completely agree. I mean, I'm, I also am not like a a nihilist that just wants everything to work out terribly, you know, or something. But at the same time, I I completely agree that sometimes things are a little too buttoned up and it's like,
0: "Mm, yeah, it
1: doesn't, feel satisfying really yeah. and not that again that i want like pain and torment is what, <laughs> what satisfies me but just
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. and look if, if you want that um that nice ending all the time then it's not your genre you go and read maybe right. co- cozy romance or um sweet romance where everything's everything's perfect at the end of the day so right. you, you've got to pick your
1: genre genre correctly right go watch some hallmark movies kind of thing that's it Uh, (laughs) so on your website um you have an advanced reader group Mm -hmm. where you invite readers to get free early access copies of the book if they can commit to reading and providing feedback in a pretty short time yeah Uh, is that is that a really common practice or is that something that you've kind of developed or i've just not encountered that before i'm also not someone who knows everything so (laughs) it might be really common
0: (laughs) i guess it's 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 the the theory is common in marketing it's common in product testing it's common Mm. in movies um they'll always pick a a test audience to to have a look and it's funny and and you know this true from i guess the dvd days where there's alternate endings yeah, the, the the film producer, the director will shoot three or four different alternate endings. You know, Chris Nolan will shoot five, six alternate endings. Then they'll right. go and test it on an audience, and based on the feedback, they'll they'll go with that ending. And when yeah. I first heard that, I thought, "Wow, that's ultimate flexibility, and that's ultimate feedback yeah, uh, from the audience." And this has been out for for a while now in terms of not necessarily alternate endings, but having an advanced reader group to Beta test uh, the book, and I look. I'm extremely grateful. Some of the changes that I've made that have made the, a good book better, uh, a better book great. It's purely because some of my advanced readers have come back and said, "No, this is not quite right," or "That would never happen," or "You should change this part." And I've, I've I listened to them. I don't do it for you know the the fact of getting adulation. When I send something out to a to my group, and there's about two two hundred in there. I deliberately say in bold writing at the beginning of the email, I don't want praise. Tell me what is wrong with this yeah. story, with the character, with the plot. I, I Tell me I want the bad stuff. I'm not interested if you who you loved and who you liked and what you liked. Tell me what doesn't work. And I think that's, you know, that's critical. But no, it's getting more widespread because I want as 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 anyone who's a book is a product, a song is a product. It's a commercial world. You want it to sell so you need to test it and and that's happening um you know across the um across, it's, it's not it's also common in, in traditional publishing it's every sphere of publishing traditional publishers will will send it out to to their groups and and they'll get feedback on the cover they'll get feedback on 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 the book itself but it is mm-hmm. very prevalent
1: now yeah yeah no i i completely agree i mean just in my own experience trying to solicit feedback on on my podcast which i actually have a few podcasts mm-hmm. that i host but it's very challenging to get anyone that I know to say anything critical at all. They're always just like, "Oh no, it's great," and it's like that doesn't help <laughs> in any way for you to tell me it's great. And again, I appreciate their kindness or whatever, but it's yeah. like that's not really what I'm after here. Mm. Um, I, my my confidence is enough that I can take the <laughs> the negative feedback, and that's what I want in order to improve. So yeah. I can certainly see where that that makes sense. So, do you get feedback from fans? outside of that often? Or, or do you have like, perhaps alternatively, like author, author friends that you're getting feedback from? Or, or is the, the advanced readers primarily where you get this feedback it's, from?
0: It's the advanced readers plus my developmental editor when it goes mm. to her and it comes back from her. And obviously she's very critical. Um, that's her job. And that's why I picked her. So it's, I, I, I value a lot of feedback from professionals in, in the industry as well. But it's funny because the, the the voracious readers that read my ARG and and people on Facebook, um, because they read so many books, they they know what's wrong. They know what's wrong with a novel um, hmm. f- from that, and and they may know what's wrong with a story, a character, or a plot um, better than than some of the professional editors out there. Purely because professional editors don't read. All they do is read manuscripts, and they sometimes have a preconceived idea how how a story should go or how a, a, a protagonist should act whereas uh, and they tend to you can say well they're not reading for enjoyment it's it's a job at the end of the day they're reading from Mm -hmm. a very calculating uh, mechanical view whereas advanced readers they're reading for enjoyment um, from that perspective and I've often said the best book is the book that you get to the end and you don't know why it was so good you can't put a finger on it right like a movie you don't know there was just something it's like when they talk about you know these mercedes this it's the safety you can't see that counts that will save your life right you come out of a movie or you watch a tv show and you read a book and you go i just it was great but i can't tell you why that's you know that's why the the arg are good because they they know what works in a book
1: right so you know you're talking about the editing i'm curious how how and not an exact count but how much is edited out like is it Dozens of pages, or just a handful, or hundreds of pages—like how much content ultimately gets edited out through this process?
0: I think as you get better, and as you write more books, less gets edited out because mm. every time you get a, the manuscript back, there's 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 a pattern in there of things that you shouldn't do and directions that you shouldn't go down. Um, and so, not that there's rules, but there's there's a certain pattern. So initially, I think the there was more editing. And I mean developmental editing, not not grammar and spelling. There was more developmental editing um, in my earlier books that was required. And I will go back and, once again, with the beauty of technology, go back and, and re-edit them. Um, but hopefully it gets less and less. I think the, the most significant edit that I had was maybe 12, 18 months ago where I literally had to take maybe 40% of the book out. Because it had gone oh, in the wrong, wow. it gone yeah, it had gone in, the, and that's that's soul crushing because you know that's yeah. thirty or forty thousand words <laughs> that right. you that you've sweated over, um, but you trust the editor, you trust that that they know what commercially will work, um, and sometimes look, you can choose to ignore it. Um, I I did a compromise. I went back and said, look, well, how about we take out you know, 20% and we did this and, and that tended to work. But, yeah, it, it can be. I think if you start on a manuscript or start on a book and you're fearful at the end that you're going to have a huge um, developmental edit of it and you cut up half of it and then I think more time has to be spent at the beginning to float the idea, to outline, and then submit the outline to an editor and say, look, this is my chapter-by-chapter chapter outline Um, do you think it'll work Um, i don't think write a hundred thousand words and hope that you get to keep the
1: majority of them i think that's that's a recipe for disaster right right now that makes sense so you know now that you're as engaged in, in writing all of the time as you are do you find yourself reading still yes i
0: think and i've never stopped reading and i guess it's you think, well, you're staring at a screen all day, then you're staring at an <laughs> a, a, a e-reader all day and, or some hours of the day and you're staring at a book all day. You're looking at words all day. But I think it's. I like reading, I enjoy it, but I think my, my books are better and will continue to improve simply because I read. And I don't mean I read fiction, I read non-fiction. I read out of my genre, like I'll read romance, romance. Um, I want to see how they how they do a romantic scene. Um, I'll read military history uh, american military history civil war i uh, mm-hmm. and because i'm I'm interested in that, and one of my books is based in Maryland, a lot of civil war sites um, but no, I do read for pleasure i think I think I cannot understand people authors that say are writing fiction and they say oh i don't re- I don't have time to read. I don't have time to relax and and read a story. I think your work suffers um as a result of it i think um i'm sure um, um you know the best like lee child for example he's a voracious reader and um he reads a lot and it's 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 reflected in his stories you have to read yeah
1: yeah one of my my closest friend for my entire life has a, a masters degree in uh creative writing and one of the first things he came across when he started on that journey was A book by stephen king called on writing Mm. and he says the same thing basically i mean he he insists that the only way to really become a better writer is to to read is to Mm. consume more writing yeah which to me makes a ton of sense um and i think not exclusive to writing right like i now i certainly i'm not some (laughs) famous podcaster or something at this point but i listen to a lot of other interviews Just to try and understand how other interviews happen and what other interviewers are doing, right? Yeah. So yeah, uh, same kind of thing. So do you have a do you have a favorite book or a favorite series of books, uh, or has that changed over time? That I write or that I read? That you
0: read, sorry. Um, look, I, I have a whole selection. I always go back to the to some of the the staples. Um, I'm reading a great Australian author at the moment, a guy called Chris Hammer. Um, he writes these outback thrillers and he just captures these small towns perfectly. And I picked up one of his books and I think I read the first 50 pages and then went and bought the rest of them. So, uh, <laughs> um, and look, I, 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 I enjoy Stephen King um, when the books are under 500 words, 500, sorry, 500 pages. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I got halfway through the stand and sort of had to park it for a while. Right. But um no look I, I like
1: um
0: it's bizarre. I, I like reading, you know, some of Nora Roberts's books. She writes romance, thriller romance, but she writes really well. Um Stephen King, I like Daniel Silver. I read a fair bit of Lee Child, but um fantasy, I'm I'm um slogging my way through Game of Thrones. And um <laughs> It's great, but like it's it's their thick books, but
1: um, they're, they're just... and so many pages are just table spreads of yeah. dinners that they're having. It's just like my God, man, please, we <laughs> that's get it. it. There was a meal <laughs> <laughs> that
0: ends in half the people getting killed. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but yeah, <laughs> at look, least one time. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's I don't what books that I tend to sort of stray away from. I don't like. Um, books that come out as fads like i i struggled through some of the the books that oh have you read this book everyone's reading it you must read it but to me that's a mm. i tend to sort of stray away from them um books that get recommended like that because i think the hype is more is is bigger than the book um, mm-hmm. but yeah look i i used to love honestly i used to love james patterson but but then i i went off him at the end of the day but um yeah it's it's a whole range of books that i read
1: yeah yeah that's really cool so do you have you ever? And I guess to be, I guess I mean fiction, because certainly some of the nonfiction stuff you've shared that you've had to, to research could be very troubling. But from fiction reading, have you have you ever cried from reading a book? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm yet. To, and I'm,
0: I- I'm yet to get. To, um. No, I, I. It's. I. I remember. I. I teared up writing a scene in. Mm. In. One of the dystopian books that I wrote because I had to kill someone that 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 didn't need it to be killed, but I thought, what the hell? Um, mm-hmm. um, and that's the I've never been. No, I've never I've never cried in a. My wife has cried in some of her books that she's that she's read, but <laughs> um, no, I've never had that emotional, um, I guess, connection to that extent of, of where I've cried.
1: Yeah, the reason I ask is because for me, it's very rare. Also, Um, you know, movies. Certainly I've had that impact. Mm. I've listened to music before that's affected me that way. But there's only one book ever that I read. Uh, It's a a series called The Gap Cycle. It's a a science fiction series. But but yeah, there's a there's a a moment in the end of that series that kind of got to me. But that's the only time I've seen it. Mm. And it's kind of the same way with, you know, like video games, which I consider to be as valid a form of entertainment media as Mm. movies or TV or anything Mm. else. It's also pretty rare. It has happened a couple of times where I've had that, you know, a crying response in a Mm. game, but very, very rare. So I was just, yeah, I was just curious if that had ever had ever occurred, because to me, it's it's not as common in in reading, which is kind of strange, though, because reading is a really intimate experience. It's not like you're it's not like you don't care. You know what I mean? But for some reason, it doesn't trigger it that way. Maybe there's not the right, there's no song, I guess, or something to make it. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think I, I
0: there was once I cried tears of frustration during a uh, when I was playing Halo once because I couldn't get out of the I couldn't get out of the room alive. <laughs> Fair. That, that may have been. Fair. Yeah, more more tears of frustration. Right. I, I didn't see that sniper on the roof, <laughs> and he's still there.
1: Right. Right. So do you find, you know, you you spend a lot of time writing now, and and obviously, you know, you chose that. Um, Do you find it energizing at the end of the day? Look, it can be extremely lonely. I'll be honest. It
0: can be very, Mm. it's a very lonely, um, and with the lockdowns that we've been having, it it sort of amplifies that. But it's, if you get into the story, it, it will take you away. Hours can fly by, or minutes can seem like hours, but... I think what I've had to do now is say I, I have an office that I write in, and I've had to force myself. I'll get partway through the week. Walk. I'll, I'll get to a, a Wednesday or a Thursday, and I haven't been out. I haven't been out of the house, you know, for for the week. No. And I now have to force myself to to on a Wednesday. I will now um, spend the morning at a coffee shop at a cafe, and I'll write. I'll take my my. Laptop and I'll go and write there, and it's 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 a nice it's a nice environment. I think you need to get outdoors a lot more, Um, but it it's um, you can look. It's some of the some of the writing, some of the stories that you can do. It is invigorating when you come up with a really good scene and you and you put something in that's really interesting and and yeah, it can be very it can be very rewarding. But I think from a from an aspect, authors musicians any like anyone I guess is painters anyone that's it's a solo it's if you're not in a band it's a solo pursuit even if you are in a band it's it's still if you're the main songwriter it's still a solo pursuit if, if you're a, mm-hmm. if you're a gamer or if you're a, um, a coder who's 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 you know designing a computer game hours and hours and hours and days and days writing code um, it can be a very lonely existence. So I think it's it's critical for anyone to just to get out, get out in the outdoors and and get out in the sunshine and and the thing about my my profession now is that I can I can write from anywhere. I can, you know, I've I've ridden in the back of a taxi cab going across the Brooklyn Bridge. So <laughs> because of the traffic. <laughs> so, right right um, you're in there for a while. That's it. Start so, <laughs>
1: Well that's really cool. Well Jack, I, I I I can't believe, you know, you're talking about time slipping by. That's happened with our conversation here. Wow. I did not realize uh, how long we've been going. We we're almost at an hour here. So I do want to make sure we 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 tell people where they can find your books. So you've got a website jklm.com. I'll make sure and have links in the show right. to that. All of your your books are available on Amazon. Yeah. And I've just completely dominated the conversation, but do you want do you want to tell people about any of the series of books or what they can expect from let's say the Octagon series to start with.
0: Yeah, look, Octagon's more of a dystopian um, thriller and it's um, it's, a, it's a fast-paced read. Um, my main book that, that got me to the bestseller list um, is a book called Millpoint Road. It's a domestic thriller. Um, and so if you want to start with, with my series or with any of my books, I, I would start with Millpoint Road because it's a standalone and it's sort of elements of all my other books in it. So Millpoint Road is, is the main one
1: if you want to start with from that side of it. Okay, cool. Well, I'll make sure, like I said, that we have links to uh, the Amazon store where, where people can buy the books and then also to your website. Um Anything else that you'd like to say or anything else, anywhere, anywhere else people should connect with you? Do you have social media you'd like to, to plug yeah, or look, you just go to the website? Go to the website, all my links there for, for okay. Instagram and everything's just there. Okay, perfect. Well, Jack, again, really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming by. No, thank you, Walker. windows broken, stories untold, childly memories drift in the wind, over signs dying in the grass, mothers, fathers and lifelong friends, become layers of the mountains fast, our castles came crashing out. Stone by stone that fell to the ground. Brick and mortar. Staircase came crashing down Step by step they fell to the ground No way to reach the top floor again It's a paper letter drifting into That's all for the show today. Thank you so much to Jack for stopping by and sharing his walk of life. I also want to thank Misha Aaron's for the music in today's show. And last but not least, thank you, listener, for listening. I also invite you to check out my other shows, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a video game podcast where we explore the idea of why gaming matters, or my other show, The Crowfall Podcast, which shares stories and perspectives from the MMO Crowfall. Both of those are available on any podcast app. Thanks again for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up.